so I figured that I the first thing I should say to people watching this is that Sono and I met 40 years ago when we were a little bit younger at university doing philosophy and one of the things right back at that time that I associate with you amongst other things is this fascination with Carl Jung and then I've just watched your life happen from a distance um, around this incredible work you've done around Carl Jung. So we had a chance to catch up personally a little few weeks back, which was nice. Um, so I want to dive straight in. And I said to you then, and you were kind enough to play along, say so you, that you'd be willing to do this. Normally, what I um, want to do is come in and, and, and say, and I do want to do this with you, Sona, in a minute. But I come in with, okay, so here we are, we're alive. In our case, we've been living quite a long while. Um, what the hell do you think it is? But for this special conversation, I'm wondering if you could have a stab at, for the first part of the conversation, giving what you think might be Carl Jung's answer, if I were to have the good fortune to ask him that question. Um, I could have a go. Have a, yeah, I'd be fascinated in, to hear. In effect, the um, the first question is easier than the, than than the second question in terms of what I think. Okay, <laughs> brilliant. <laughs> I think that uh, where Jung um, eventually got to was that becoming aware, becoming conscious, being um, and developing awareness, developing consciousness was not something that was just of individual benefit, but it took part, it was part and parcel of, you could say, life becoming aware of itself. Do you, do you mean that in a kind of like an evolutionary way that, that life had evolved to become aware of itself through us? I mean, he means that in a full sociological manner in terms of uh, the divine becoming aware of itself through the mirror of creation. Okay, all right. So, so full take, take, me, take me through what he means then um, by the word divine. There's one question I've always wanted to ask you, which I, I can just jump straight in and ask. Oh, it's always puzzled me. I remember years and years and years and years ago um, when I was looking at young decades um, and that famous interview where he says uh, something like, I don't believe in God, I know that God exists. And I've always been really intrigued as exactly what he meant by that and whether it should be taken on face value or, and you know, so what does he mean by God or the divine, would you say in, in his, his vision of what this is? I think it's a comment that should just be taken at first value. Okay. It's, 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 it's what it says on its, what it says on the tin. In terms of so just, it's a, it's a statement of kind of gnosis. Yeah. Just, just as, as simple as that. And what does he mean by it? What does just, he mean by God or divine? Existence. So he's seeing all, all that as the gra the ground of existence coming to know itself. Yeah. And that's God coming to know itself through us. Yeah. 
in a way he's positing in his late book answer to job a situation of divine unconsciousness or divine unknowing yeah that needs human awareness yeah to, to mirror back creation yeah that's a beautiful vision it's one i really resonate with I've, my own position i don't want to get into it now has kind of moved on a bit but fundamentally that is something which is that that idea i think has probably dominated most of my most of my life actually that kind of like vision of this unfolding and mm -hmm. so so how does that feel how does how does how has hanging out with someone like carl jung impacted you what do you do you where have you ended up with it i mean that sort of reply i mean sort of the vision that he has is something I respect, but it's too big for me in the sense of, <laughs> in the sense, all I can see is, okay, one tries to, in, in one's life and endeavor, try to make some incremental good, uh, however small it may be in, in, in whatever kind of capacity one can do it and, and, and hope it's a benefit for others. If it is or not, it's, it's just for others to say in terms of the things that you have a kind of, one's own peculiarities often uniquely enable one to do. And I think it's best served to try to contribute through those means in the sense of like, in terms of what I've engaged in, in terms of scholarship and teaching, I'm sure in many respects, people could say, when you look at the state of the world, you know, why don't you go and like hop out in war zones or hop out with famines or i think the, the things if you're looking at you know, sort of like an utilitarian framework would be far more valuable or sensible things to do and i'm not saying that they're not but i tend to think just trying to contribute in ways that you might be uniquely able to do i love is, that. is the best use of your limited capacities the, the things you can do there are things that that are often more sensible things that many other people can do much better than, yeah. than you or I can. Yeah, yeah I, well, I <laughs> feel the same. Don't have those skill sets. So, so why, looking back now, do you feel like what 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 was the Carl Jung thing? Why why were you looking doing you know so young into Carl Jung, and why have you given so much of your life to his? exposing his ideas and, and working on his ideas. I think the first point um, of the inception, which would have been around the time when we started talking, that part is easy to map in the sense having just um, come back from India, uh, becoming interested in uh, Indian thought and mysticism, uh, visiting some ashrams like the Rajneesh ashram in, in Pune, and speaking to an uncle that was a, uh, a yogi, and being told, "Okay, you have to go and go and find a guru and just submit to them," and that's that's the way forward. And finding, I've been yeah, starting to think for myself, and that was not something that I wanted to stop. Um, and reading. Heraclitus and, and Nietzsche's Thus Spoke Zarathustra, that well, Western philosophy is anything like that, better go and study philosophy. So that's how I ended up oh, doing right. that. I, I didn't realize I was really dealing with something a bit like the, the 
alpha and omega of European thought, the grand arc of philosophy. That was, and that was not exactly what uh, analytic philosophy in Bristol was really, really going down. But I got a hell of a lot out of it anyway. But so it was that that point of Western rationalism on the one side, or my own rationalism and being attracted towards the mysteries, shall we say, in a broad central sense. And in that context, reading um, Jung's commentary to The Secret of the Gold Flower with oh, Richard Wilhelm, I thought, okay, yeah. wow, this is some point of mediation. There is maybe a middle way that means you can approach these in a rational way that in a way respects both perspectives. And at that stage, I mean, I didn't know what psychology was. That was the first time you know, I came across, okay, well, there's, there is psychology as opposed to just philosophy and and religious or mystical traditions. I, I just to interrupt you for a second, yeah, Sony, yeah. just to tell you the little story because you're talking about Bristol. Yeah. I, I did psychology at Bristol for the first year and dropped it. And one of the reasons I dropped it is because the professor of psychology at the first meeting said to me, so what's your interest in psychology? And I said, well, I'm really interested in Carl Jung. And he looked at me with complete disgust and went, oh, armchair psychology. And I just thought, yeah, that's not going to be the psychology that I want to study here, is it? That's the, that was the environment yeah. we were in, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, go on, please, carry on. Yeah, with the so, the, so that was the point of inception. Right. And then um, I got into it and more and more as years went by, I was finding myself thinking outside of it in the sense of just looking at the whole field of psychology and psychotherapy. Um, it looked like a complete mess in terms of a, a Tower of Babel. Um, not to say there weren't interesting theories, people, people doing fine therapy and so forth, but just the whole field at a level seemed a mess. And I just then got more and more interested in the history of psychology. And it was that was like a turn towards studying the history of psychology um, that sort of deepened sort of the, the trajectory I was on. And it, it, I was, well, the th um, let me just return to something earlier in your conversation, mm -hmm. just because it's so sweet, I can't let it go, which is, it, I don't think I'd really noticed before, but it's so obvious that given our, you know, freaks and old Germanic name, look, given our ethnicity, mm -hmm when we met very shortly afterwards and when we were doing things together, you were diving into Carl Jung and I was following an Indian guru, <laughs> <laughs> which he says something about, but, but, but very much where I've ended up going is, is very much trying to bring together, like you said, the mystical and the rational, the ability to be able to think clearly about these things, science and, 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 and Carl Jung always seemed like a real hero in that um for mystics i'm never sure he is for scientists yeah but he, for mystics or, or esotericists he's always like yeah carl jung he was so important and well how, how do you when you look back now i mean you're a professional in this field i don't know if i can ask you this question how significant do you think his thought is well you know in a way i think that popular perception is actually intuitively quite correct yeah yeah. In terms of the more I've sort of gone into it, the work I published and researched, it's like it is quite clear that well, there is what I call an esoteric Jung and uh, an exoteric 
Jung and the Jung of the oh. conceptual works is the exoteric Jung. The, the Jung, the esoteric Jung is the room of the red book and the black books. And what he was trying to do with the exoteric works was in a way trying to find a voice in the contemporary language, trying to find a way to, you could say, mediate as much as he could of that wider universe into a language that he hoped would be acceptable to a medico-scientific audience. In a way, to try to present it in terms that he thought could be acceptable. So there always was, which I think readers intuit, a wider background that he was trying to convey in psychological terminology, which was ultimately a makeshift. How did he, do you think, how, how is that? I mean, when, when I, I, when I did my, I did a little while back, I did a Ted talk at Berkeley. And one of the things I mentioned was cause I, I've been looking for, I've been trying to just understand my funny life you know, all of these things that have happened, you know, some things that happened together all those years ago, mm. that level of <clears throat> the, the level of life, which is both um, mechanical and the level of life, which is magical and the way they coexist and how that can be. And I was mentioning synchronicity, the, you know, probably Jung's yeah. most famous thing. And it dawned on me that the example I could use was actually what happened with Carl Jung, because what, because when I was at, um, this was before I met you. So this was before I went to university, because mm. I took a few years off. Mm. And I was in an occult community. And we were called Dodeca Ryan, and we were studying various Egyptian stuff. And I was sitting on my bed, um, meditating, over my head was a big old shelf which I put up I'm the most impractical person in the world and I put up this shelf for all my books and uh, 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 late at night a, a, a um, uh, concrete train would go through 11 o'clock every night and the whole place would shake and this particular night it shook so bad that the the shelf really really wobbled and this massive book which was Mysterium Conjunctionis <laughs> from the collected works fell off the shelf and opened up in front of me mm. on a passage about the Egyptian mysteries that I was the Egyptian God I was yeah. I was meditating on. So that now yeah. how he's introducing that idea. He's obviously experiencing that. He obviously lives a magical life. He's got all yeah. those things which led him through to the Gnostics, all of that. How do you think he is accounting for both the mechanical and the magical nature of existence? That's does he does he have an account or is he just going look they're both there in a way that's the theme of his um collaboration with Pauli. he publishes the synchronicity paper in the interpretation of nature and the psyche and what i quite like is there was a, an earlier title that they discarded which was just called papers in natural philosophy <laughs> with this there's quite clearly this self-conscious turning back the clock to a new natural philosophy yeah there's this Pauli's paper on kepler and flood and so forth and um in a way jung is quite aware that he's in effect trying to validate the old doctrine of correspondences 
right. Swedenborgian mirroring of the inside and, and the outside and so forth. Right. Um, the collaboration and interest of Pauli, who also was someone where these sort of things happened all the time, and that was known in the physics community, uh, was part of that sense of, okay, I'm now dealing with someone that's a heavyweight um, nuclear physicist where I can really legitimate this who takes the stuff seriously in a way that is congruent with that. And in that book, he in effect puts two theories forward. One is that synchronicity is like a, in a way we live in a mechanical Newtonian universe most of the time. And there's certain things that happened like a constellation of an archetype, which disrupts that and something you could say magical happens. And he puts forward, I think, a way i think a theory that is more interesting and i think that is in a way more in a certain sense congruent with where some where pali is headed towards to say well there is like an a causal connection that's there all the time only we don't perceive it yeah and i think that, that is the most interesting one so yeah. rather than we're in as it were mechanics and then there's an, a, a volcano that's erupting that disrupts it it's like say okay there are connections weaving their way the whole time but most of the time for most people they're obscured yeah it's just how things hang together yeah 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 that's in my last book soul story that was exactly what i was trying to explore probably influenced by carl Jung, back um from way back was the idea that what I what I was trying to do there was put it in an evolutionary context and mm -hmm. go well maybe the psyche, which we, which seems obviously to have evolved, from the biological level, is creating its own ecology, its own level <clears throat> of information, and there is a vast ecosystem of psyche, um, in which we are all enmeshed right now we're enmeshed in it all the time and that is a and that's a level of meaning or narrative and therefore you could say that the old theory for me was one i was exploring was you know the old mm -hmm. idea you get in hindu philosophy and others of life is like a dream mm -hmm. and i started twitching it around and going maybe life has evolved into a dream so that there's an, a, there's layers of this process of evolution which are mechanical ish and then there's levels which are biological and there's levels which are narrative and they're all influencing each other it's not just all coming from the bottom up so that that narrative level is constantly affecting everything that happens um just like you said but mainly you don't notice it and then occasionally it, you really notice and you notice because it's narrative because it's story and that and, and like you said it's meaningful and and that's why I love the story with the book because it's a lovely synchronicity, but it wasn't yeah. any book. <laughs> yeah. You know, it was bloody Carl Jung's book, yeah. <laughs> and it was Mysterium Conjunctionis, mm. and and so it had all of those elements. Of, ah, everything for that moment, the narrative just mm. went boom. And I was doing something to encourage that. I was actually open to it. I I was focusing on the psyche. Um, so which is really taking that idea and putting it in a kind of a, a evolutionary context. Yeah, I mean, I just give a small example that comes to mind of that. It's like uh, on my Windows computer, it sometimes I think every month or so, or a few weeks, it sometimes flashes up randomly with a photo. It says, "Look back over your memories." It's just looking over my hard drive, of 
of all the photos on it. And I think it was the yeah, it was the first anniversary of my mother's death. And the photo that came up that day was my mother. And it said, look back at your memories. And that was so, so striking, given the amount of images that are on my, yeah. Yeah. On my machine. And, and, and to, to jump from the sublime okay. in your case to mm -hmm. the kind of almost ridiculous as a way of getting that the analogy often, which comes to mind for me is, well, a little while back, I was looking at a, a shirt, I forget the manufacturer, I quite like this shirt, I thought I might buy this shirt. And I did hadn't done it. And then I started noticing that whenever I was on a social media thing, I'd get shown similar shirts or shirts yeah. like it. Now, of course, if you didn't know what was happening, you'd think, wow, that's amazing. But yeah. because you know, no, there's a whole informational system behind there, which is responding to you by going, hey, fancy this shirt, how about this yeah. shirt? And it feels like that's a way we can understand that process of the, the synchronous, the magical. Yeah. Because if there's an informational system behind this, which is operating on that level as well, then the fact that every now and again it shows up in dramatic fashion becomes no less magical, but it, becomes, it doesn't become just a, 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 an anomaly to be ignored. Sure, it's just a, a reminder stuff that's always it, going on in the isn't background. Isn't that the biggest thing with it? I, I can remember... Mm -hmm. When I was much, much younger, again, before I met you, I, you know, I would do, I went through a phase where I was, I'd withdrawn after the experience in the occult community, I withdrew into kind of meditative recluse for nine months a year. And I was started and I was, and for various reasons, I, I was a bit low when I started that. And I noticed that I would do the, the I Ching or the tarot like every day. And the reason I was doing it was simply to see the magic work because you'd see the magic yeah. work. Oh, it's okay. I don't live in a meaningless empty universe. Yeah. The magic works and it would work in dramatic fashion yeah. as a way of focusing that. And, and would you say that's what Carl Jung was into with the Ching and, and all of that stuff, the I Ching? In a way, but he wouldn't, uh, I remember talking once to his daughter and said, who said she, uh, one of his daughters, who said he, he would use it only at specific events or right, serious yeah, junctures. Oh, he was not yeah. someone that would be using that um, on a regular basis. Yeah, yeah, I was, I, I was in my own defense, you know, yeah. <laughs> I, I was like 18 <laughs> yeah. and knew no better, but. Um, yeah, I was a junkie those days on that stuff. Yeah, yeah. It, it pulls you in for that very yeah. reason, doesn't it? Yeah. Because you feel like you're following some thread. Yeah. Which can... And there's, there's an interesting letter that he wrote at a certain point where he said, you know, he wrote someone saying he'd stop using it because he realised he preferred to learn how to walk in the dark. I, I a, never use it now. Yeah. I haven't yeah. done it's for... a marvellous expression. I have, it must be... Oh, it's decades since I've used any of them. You, yeah. Do you ever use it, those things? No, it, but it's in a way a sense of thinking, okay, my experience of using it is that in a way, if you're getting to that point of quietening yourself down, you in a way know the answer. Yes. That's, that's there. A, that's it's, 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 it's realizing, okay, find a way to um, quieten down and, and to try to move oneself out of one's immediate kind of turmoil and try to figure out what what it is you should do do you do you feel i i often feel i often feel 
with figures. And I know that, you know, most you know, there's a lot of fantasy in, in a just an arbitrary sense to, to all of this, of course. But when I come across people who I feel have the same gnosis, who are, who are asking the same questions, they feel like the phrase I used to have when I was young is the family. Yeah. Like, oh, I found one, I found one. Yeah, and yeah. I just love looking at their pictures. And I feel this personal connection with them. And I had that definitely, you know, for years I called him Uncle Carl. Because yeah. it's like he had, it was that feeling of he was an older man who'd opened it all up and I could run behind him along with these other figures that I felt that with. And I, do you have, do you feel like a personal connection with him? With him? You know, I'm not trying to elevate him to anything yeah. more than a human being or hero, but, you know, just in terms of, as the, of, of, an, of a man who lived before you, do you? And Familiarity is the way I'd put it. Yeah. Familiarity. Yeah, you feel familiar with him. Yeah. Yeah. Death. What did he had a near death experience? Is that right? I think you would describe it as a death experience, not a not not a okay. near death experience. And okay. he he died and came back. All right. And he describes it as the most blissful experience of his life. How old was point. he? Um, he was uh, in his sixties. Right. And what do you? Where do you think he ended up with death? What was his place? He reached a view of a, I'd say, a conviction and reincarnation, and a sense of. Uh, in terms of his, you could say his private kind of system of one is lands up on earth to try to answer questions that are posed by one's ancestors and that he would rest up a while until he was needed to come back and, and resolve some questions that he was well placed to do. So that's so he so i feel like i've set you up now but i'm gonna ask you anyway because part of the thing when i asked you do you feel a personal connection with him is often with these figures and from a distance obviously it feel i feel a sense of connection with them not as people that not as individuals who have gone but individuals who still exist and um so I've got two questions. One, one, does that impact on you at all? That you have that sense that, you know, do you, that he's, that, 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 that Carlness is uh, in this psychic space still? That, I, that I don't have a direct sense of. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I have a sense of the world he's trying to mediate the stuff he was into and trying to mediate and the, the presence of that and I have a sense of um, should I put it that form of mediation is something real in the world I that means something to people it's like um, put it Let's use an example. I remember years ago visiting the Kali Temple in Calcutta. It was really quite a powerful experience. It's like you see the 
force I'm not going to use the word belief because belief is often used in a cognitive uh, sense as if something is just a, a mere mental mindset. You see the force of the worship yeah. towards the idol of the deity, the the, the prayers, the um, request for mediation. And that's something that's real in the world, R regardless of whether you believe in it or not, or whether you assent to it, that in itself creates a power. It creates an energy, it creates a manner. And, and what about yourself, Sonia? What, what, where have you ended up? You know, where I guess the next part of the adventure is going to yeah. involve death one way or another. What's your thought on death and reincarnation and all those, those issues? I haven't a clue. So, do, you, do, you, do you even have a you know like an intuition or you know literally like agnostic or you you know do you have a, a hunch or anything i think it's probably not the end of the story but i've no idea um well that's a pretty that's a pretty big hunch wh where that goes that's where okay. i would lean okay well that's that's pretty deep actually <laughs> to be able to say it's not the end of the story but i don't know what that means i think that's quite a deep you know that seems a a strong response you? So and yeah, I mean, more and more, I you know, I, the the work that I've done over the last, and I haven't published a book for ages, and it's because I've been doing so much work to be ready to do something new. Um, but this latest phase goes back to the death of my parents, really, mm. where it was such a profound experience that in what I think I set out to do with this evolutionary philosophy was to try and create a view of the survival of the psyche or the soul, which you could hold your head up and go, this is, this is, it's perfectly reasonable and rational to hold this view. It may be wrong, it may be right, but it's not woo-woo, it's not stupid, um, it can, it, we can make sense of it. And that's what I've been doing, really, is making sense of it. So my my hunch is that it's not the end of the story mm -hmm. and that what we're seeing with the sort of experiences that near-death experiences, death experiences, is people, the, the world we're already in continuing. So for me, it would be like, well, what's death? Well, I'm experiencing two worlds right now. One is material. One is not material, it's imaginal or ideational, it's full of images and I can go off into that world in dreams and in visions and in meditation and in shamanic practices and ayahuasca or whatever it is. Um, so the, my, my hunch about, about death is, well, when the body ceases, this experience will stop. But this experience mm. will get more vivid, just like it's fairly vivid now, but when, I'm, when I close down the biology, mm. It gets very vivid in meditation or in dreams and sleep and so forth. So that what is being experienced is the the soulscapes of the imaginal of, of the psyche, um, which look to me as if the psyche has the psyche has arisen originally as images of the sensory world through which we can under through which we can reflect on how we ideate unconsciously and make that unconscious ideation conscious through images and then words and yet 
that's developed evolves exponentially so much that it's now a whole domain and i my sense is what the esoteric and the spiritual have been exploring all this time and what's intrigued me and why my life has been dominated by it is that is to explore the the reality of that realm and the, the switch that's happened in my own thinking is going but what if that's not some permanent reality from which we've fallen which tends to be most of the ancient myths but yeah. rather it's something which has evolved like everything and there's one process of evolution in which everything that has any quality at all is taking shape and and i remember carl jung actually i'm pretty sure you can correct me if i'm wrong mm -hmm. i remember a quote of him going look there must be something which connects the fact that's like well the fact that right now i'm thinking thoughts and and my mouth is moving and mm -hmm. air is going to you and we're connecting so kind of soul to soul mm -hmm. right now there must be something which connects the material and the immaterial and and my own hunch is that that the concept which can do that for us is is this concept of information that's why i was interested in Pauli. that that now now we see actually the material reality is informational we can see different levels of information and because we're literally connecting through information right now it becomes an easy yeah. metaphor to go well there's another level of information and that level of information is the psyche or the soul and it's full of images of the sensory world but it's taken on its own reality and 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 and, and the big shift for me as well it's where i shifted away from the mythos that you were talking about with the divine is seeking itself you know is the unconscious no. divine is becoming conscious of itself it's kind of the same as that except it no longer feels like calling the ground divine is the right word because it feels like if you take a radically evolutionary view which is what i'm exploring then the the the, the ground is the simplest thing you can imagine and for me the word i use is being that the ground is existence it exists and then from that it's taking on information it's a field of being taking on information which will evolve onto all these levels and my guess is that the thing we experience as god or i certainly do that huge loving benevolent presence isn't where it starts mm. it's where it's where it's it's where it's going that's great i mean the at a just a, at a purely speculative level, the, the way I sort of, what sort of lines I speculate on is taking my cue from William James's radical empiricism and to say, look, okay, dualism is a, you never solve the mind-body problem because it's a, it's a problem created by your by your conceptual systems. That really, when you look at it, you're dealing with what he calls pure experience there is there is not like two substances that you're trying to look at how they interact or join there's not what he calls it an inner bifurcation in experience and not two realms yeah so the area that i'm interested again speculating on is like modes of transition from more you could say substantial to more subtle layers yeah um and it seems to be some interested in ayurveda which is something that as a as a medical system works on both layers at, at, at the same time it's a monistic system there's not a mind body uh, separation and and a sense that things can move both ways in a way the substantial can become more subtle and the subtle can become more 
substantial i mean you're a musician you, you know when when you when you play an instrument where is there a difference between it's not like there's a, a mental emotion that gets transferred to a physical um movement that gets retransferred to um, a mental emotion it's all one thing it's not like there's like it's moving from up and a, down from one box analogy. to another but there's just one um one movement so the shift there which is which feels like the it feels like the biggest thing that we know that our ancestors up till 100 years ago didn't know was in the same way is that we live in a process the whole universe yeah. is this evolutionary process and so that's made me shift in my thinking from the idea that there's a oneness of everything to oh there's a oneness of becoming yeah that there's one process in which the simplest simplest possible thing is becoming richer and richer and like you said emerging onto all of these new levels so you've got a quantum informational level you've got a physical level you've got a biological mm. level and of course all the levels in between them mm. as a spectrum and then this ref this other thing which which the, uh, when i was doing the gnostics when i was writing about the gnostics that was when I really started thinking, oh, look, it's a mistake to keep thinking about the psyche as the kind of like the, I see, I come across a lot, the idea that the psyche is kind of the inside of the brain. As if it has a biological thing on the outside, and then there's an inner subjectivity, which is the psyche. And I don't think that at all. I think the psyche is a whole new level of information mm -hmm. with its own objective quality and subjective quality, as it were. It's information on another level. And it's the sensory experience of the biological experience, which is being mediated by the, by the neurological network. And then the ideational network, which has emerged from it, is taking us into a completely different domain, which is the one that you explore in those profound mm. spiritual experiences mm. and psychedelics and mm. all the rest of it. And that, and that seems to be, and that, my sense is that's what Jung was pushing into, was that realm. Yeah. He was. I mean, my sense, following again from James, is to speak in, a, in less ontological terms and more pragmatic terms, the way he put it would be okay, there are certain types of phenomena where you could say mind talk works effectively. And there are other kinds of talk where physicalist mechanics works effectively. It's not presuming whether they are or are not what they are or are not at an ontological level. But you find we find it effective to talk in these ways about these sorts of states. But then you, you have know. to go, why? So it does say something about, I mean, it, it, when, when I look at my experience, there's a hell of a difference between my hand and then my idea of my hand, if I imagine my hand. I mean, that's a, there's a fundamental difference there, isn't it? Don't you think? I would put that at levels of what I call of, of mediation of, of that levels of subtlety. Yes. But, but, it, but, it, but, but experientially very, yeah. that we've yeah. got, we've reached a new level, haven't we? Of yeah. something. We experience the whole spectrum. Yeah. The whole time. But in terms of evolution, I was struck, um, I recently read this, uh, Thomas Hertog's collaboration with Stephen Hawking in terms of his new kind of theory of of time, and I found it really quite fascinating because, because the main premise he argues that Hawking came to revise this whole kind of like 
cosmology, if you, if you will. Um, and what they develop in that book is a notion of you're not dealing with impermanent, so intemporal laws in which existence then has to follow the template and work itself out in, but a notion where the laws of physics are evolutionary. He did that. In, uh, well, so, yeah. so one of the key ideas, which it was in Soul Story, so that's yeah. 10 years ago, for yeah. me is exactly that. Yeah. And uh, I associate it with going back to for, uh, Rupert Sheldrake, the biologist, yeah. and before that to Peirce, Charles Sanders yeah. Peirce, and and in physics with um, Lee Smolin. Yeah. Um, but I didn't know, that is news to me, big yeah. news, yeah. that, that um, Hawking had gone down that road. Because again, it makes to me, it's like, look, if everything is evolutionary, everything is evolutionary everything including god yeah. and then and the, and and so the idea that it's that we're in a kind of a, a that the very process itself is learning that it's not created by an intelligence it's the evolution of intelligence and that it's constantly setting up patterns i i, I use the word passivity to that there's a the patterns of the past haven't gone anywhere yeah and when i'm meeting you it's like i can see yeah all of the past it's like i'm meeting yeah. sonu right back from when yeah. i first met him it's all it's all there um, and it's informing the present i really you know yeah. that seems a huge important jump that i'm so pleased to hear that that he's doing he's saying that and so it's a notion that you these laws itself and yeah. are evolutionary and yeah. of of of, That's it. Uh, of and of outcomes of increasing complexity in which things could have worked out in a different way yeah but this this is where in a way where the where the cards fell so so just to jump to uncle carl yeah the the it's my i haven't you you tell me because i i really mm. don't know but in that evolutionary process it feels like it, it, it's on, it's constantly throwing up new things it's basically it's repeating the past in a new way and so you've got that passivity, everything carries on, you know, I'm, this is going to fall, this is going to fall, all of that stuff. And then as it evolves, there, there's always newness because all the relationships between systems is moving and changing all the time. And that throws up new possibilities. And if they work out, if they can fit in, mm -hmm. they continue. And then it gets to our level and the same thing is happening. It's just that it's very fast, like it's happening now. We're evolving as we speak. In terms of the psyche, I'm I'm different for the, my yeah. conversation with you for sure. And then with the evolution of the psyche, if 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 what we're witnessing is like an an ecosystem, like like with biology, then the foundations, the very first ideas, are still there, and they're structuring all the later ideas, mm. which like a like a like the phylogenetic tree, but mm. with ideas, mm. and. That what struck me that what Carl Jung was onto with archetypes was like the first ideas, like these yeah. are the structural ideas from which all other ideas are related. Just like you could go back to the common ancestor of the you know the single cell yeah. or the early forms of life from which all life comes. These are these are structural ideas, which you know, there must have been a time, wasn't there? If if, if you know if ideas yeah. have evolved, there was the first idea, the the second idea, the third, yeah. and. And that's an, an awesome thought from which, and we're still connected to that because we, we are psychobiological systems. There's a, 
reminded by there's an expression of Miles Davis where he says in his in his memoirs, in using I think if I recall correctly in Miles' classic lingo, that shit we did was so bad it must be still out there in the universe. <laughs> like, the music was so great, <laughs> it could not have it it, it could not have disappeared. It, it, it's something. There's a huge psychological or spiritual even shift if if you if you if you change the notion of time so that time doesn't pass it accumulates so there's just more of it and the reason that yeah. the universe is like this now and was just hydrogen four thousand four billion years ago mm -hmm. is because there's so much more information which is accumulated and the fact that the reason that you are now like you are and i'm like i am both in our physical appearance but also mm -hmm. in our soul is because of all that time that's accumulated and that you know the, the the intuition that I have is that nothing is nothing is lost. It's impossible. That that what that your very identity is that that Sonu is a relationship between a particular system which has arisen. I don't mean that system in some mechanical yeah. sense, but which has arisen in relationship with the universe. So you're the universe in relationship with itself. So am I. But we're particular things in in relationship to the whole. And my identity is everything that's ever happened in that relationship. Every single thing is what makes Tim Tim and why he speaks in this mm. way and does this funny thing with his hands and mm. it, and and you the same. Yeah. And and there's something very redemptive about that thought somehow. That nothing is that everything every, that you are and I think the other thing is when well my book Soul Story I wanted to call it Soul Formation. Mm. Um, for various reasons, the title is too long for their design, but because it feels like what we're doing is forming ourselves. If 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 you are made of everything, if, if you are a relationship with the universe and you're made of everything you've ever experienced, and so am I, then we are forming ourselves now. We 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 already exist in each other. And now we re-exist mm. in each other, and the choices, the choice that you made to say yes, I'll have this conversation has formed you in a different way than if you hadn't made that choice. Yeah, I think that's well put in yeah. terms of, um, it's what Bergson called creative evolution. Yeah. 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 It's, it's a, it's a beautiful vision. I, I guess mm. the thing, well, let me, let me just come in on this towards the end of our time together is, um, well, there's so many things I'd like to ask you, but, um, when you've lived a life, and you know we've both done that now, and we 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 last spent a lot of time together when we hadn't lived a life, yeah, really. and now we have. I think one of the things which I had a bit maybe was looking at older people was oh it kind of runs out, or, um, I could see that there was people who were disappointed with life or ran ground down by it. But thus far, I have to say, it just gets more and more full on, more mysterious, more, I feel like I know so much more, and the more I know, the more I don't know, and the richness of it, and the relationship with God, let's say, um, just has been extraordinary. And, and that's why it's been so lovely hearing all the things that you've been saying. Because I, I hear in your voice, get, correct me if I'm wrong, this, I love that there's a kind of humility in the view you have, which I really like. 
really but warms me. I think I, I know a lot less than I thought I knew. But with multiple certainties, they might have only lasted a week, but this yeah. time they were passionately kind of uh, sort of put forward. So, yeah, in terms, in terms of in terms of my work as studying history of psychology and psychiatry, it's part of an attempt to show what we take to be knowledge as our contingent and are not fixed and yeah. things things are open. Yeah. To to think about how, how systems of thought are created the the all alleatory trajectories that give rise to them. But what it's taken to be certitudes or not. So And does the you know we we talked about Carl Jung and what he meant by God. Does that that is a difficult word to be honest with you. I, I do trouble with, mm. with the word, but that I that experience of something more than does that does that mean something to you? The way I put it is, I don't think life can be understood in human terms alone. In terms of human, in terms of humanism, right? Uh, there is some beyond. What that beyond is called varies in in in, in the great and, and the not so great religious traditions. <laughs> Uh, I don't know what it is. I don't have any positive X. I, I probably explore that more, try to give voice to that in poems, which try to express the, the best expression I could have. Um, in terms of, of a, a poetics. So, so in terms, no but in terms of experience, there's something there, isn't yeah. it? That you want yeah, to yeah, express. My, well, yeah, my sense that it can't be understood in human terms alone. I right. don't know what the broader terms are. Yeah, yeah. But that's enough for me. Yeah, I mean, I, I think probably both of us let go the idea of this rather naive idea of um, certainty, which sometimes is out there. For me, it's like, it's mm. quite different. It's like the, the, the normity of the mystery. Mm. And then I get to do my best to find ways of ideating it which can account for what i've experienced and open up new experiences the best i can for now yeah. i've done a whole series i'm going to do a whole new more which has been quite interesting of coming out with why i was wrong about yeah. because i've had to come out with a number of things in my books and go i've written 35 books and 34 of them are wrong and about a big idea and that's happening more it's happening but, more and more and more. But maybe they're not. I mean, I say that from the point of view that there was an, um, I was reading a piece by the great Portuguese poet Fernando Pessoa, and he was citing a philosopher called Suarez, if I, if I pronounce it correctly. And he was like, he said, Socrates was only a semi skeptic because he knew that he didn't know, but there's certainty in that. A full skeptic. <laughs> doesn't even know <laughs> if they know so it's like maybe maybe you know so even to say 34 yeah. are wrong is to say there's no there's there's, the big the big shift for me was i use a lot a lot of etymology in to help me with ideas was tracing the etymology of the word true and truth and to the idea that something was true if they were if it was trustworthy, like a true friend, it's trustworthy. And that 
really, you know, kind of pragmatic, I guess, approach really, really makes things clear for me because it just feels like I'm looking for them. I'm not looking. The whole idea of it kind of being certain. It, it, what, yeah. I, don't even, I don't even know what that means. What it, what I'm, th- what it, what it looks to me like is to understand it in the way that is most trustworthy. And that I can, and 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 if, if there's something more trustworthy, and and, and can, then instantly to change to that, and the way in which when you do shift, reality shifts. But probably the biggest thing, actually, for me, has been the thing which we were exploring together when we first met, and which goes back for me to very young, which was the realization. It's obvious, but the realization that how I experience life to be is not consistent that I can literally shift my state and be in something ecstatic and, and sublime and, and have a very view that comes from there, or I can be very closed down and feel very, and, and have a completely different sense of what reality is. And, and that, that, that shift to those deep awake states reveals another level of, mm. of reality. This is a footnote. I'm right. There was a fine book uh, by a uh, historian of science, Stephen Shapen, called A Social History of Truth. Uh, that notion of trust becomes uppermost because he's basically saying, in effect, that just to put it on a postcard in the sense that truth was, a, in effect, a convention that is established by the royal society by trustworthy individuals. Or what is <laughs> taken to be truth is based on credibility and trust yeah i i think that's exactly yeah. right in it's a learned because, society you know, totally and yeah. and you know when i try and in- integrate uh physics with spirituality i take physics on trust i'm not a physicist you know i i try i find the physicists i trust and i trust them because you know in in, in a critical way yeah. and i see it differently often than they do but nevertheless you know, I can't, you know, you tell me something about Carl Jung, I'm mm. going to believe you because I trust mm. you. And and so there's that level of trust as well, isn't it? Which goes all the way back to why it feels like we have this evolved in the first place to enable us to navigate our lives. And whether it was like, yeah, no, I think the, the water buffaloes are down by the waterhole. I don't know, it's the three-day walk. Is that true? <laughs> Can you trust that? Yeah, yeah, here's the evidence. Look, okay, let's let's start walking. Just right back to that, to now where we're speculating about, you know, like, like with the image you you first came in with when I talked about what how Carl Jung would answer the what is life is, um, I mean, incredible, isn't it, that we can be here discussing the nature of the... We are the, we are the universe. What else could mm. we be, possibly be? <laughs> well, the universe has popped up with a Tim and a Sony. Yeah. And here we've been having this conversation over these decades about what the universe is or what we should do with it or what really matters and all of that. And that's... Mm. I mean, it blows my mind. But that is, that is what we are. That's what's happened. It's beautiful. Well, thank you. I think that's uh, that. That might be a, a good place to draw our conversation to an end. And um, I hope we get to see each other in the flesh right. and continue on on another occasion. And I look forward in you know another ten years having the same conversation <laughs> and 
but then we'll be on some new technology. We'll be holograms in each other's room talking away, going, who'd have thought this would happen? Yeah, uh, well, on an Apple headset. <laughs> on an Apple headset. They're, exactly, yeah. Probably won't be that long. Each other's living rooms. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it would be great. Yeah. I'm great. I, I just want to say, so now how... I don't know how to say this in a way that comes across, but I'm... Um, I'm, I'm, it's been a, such a delight to see you doing the Red Book and all the things you've done and and thinking that I knew you all those years ago and that I saw your passion for it and that you have done such amazing things and that I can show off the fact that I knew you um, uh, when people talk about Jung. And uh, it's a great, you know, it's like, you know, you know well done. That's a lot. That's same thing to you. It's like just continuing to plow one's own furrows. To... Yeah. Yeah, we have. We have. It's like you can go back all that time. Yeah. And if you saw those, you know, I, I as I'm getting older, I'm I, I, I see my past much, much less sympathetically than yeah. I used to. I look much more like a naive idiot than yeah. I did at the time. And but definitely if you went back back to those two young men, I think yeah. you'd see the essence of what's come out of them and still trying to come well, out. The way I put it with with our other mutual friends, it's like it was a, a very formative ship of fools to know a lot to. It really was. Yeah, yeah it yeah. was. It was. It, we were lucky yeah. to find each other. Well, yeah. maybe it wasn't luck. <laughs> All right, my friend, okay. go well, and um, we'll speak again. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Bye.